Hornet Heaven, Series 10, Episode 1 Founders Day Written by Ollie Wicken, read by Colin Mace Earth Season, 1948-49 On Tuesday, March the 22nd, 1949, in the land of the living, there wasn't a soul to be seen on Occupation Road, outside the main entrance to Watford Football Club. In the parallel world of Hornet Heaven, however, a figure wearing a Victorian suit and hat was visible, gradually emerging from the grey fog that shimmered perpetually a little further down the slope. The man was 83 years old. He was aware he'd just died. Now he found himself standing in a half-light by the black corrugated iron gates of a car park. He said to himself, Oh dear, I'd hoped the pearly gates would be rather pearlier than this. What a frightful eyesore. The man didn't recognise where he was. He began to walk up the slope. The black corrugated iron became a long, tall fence on his left-hand side. On the other side of the road were the drab wooden fences of local residents' gardens. It was hardly the beautiful pastoral idyll he'd envisaged for his afterlife. He wasn't sure he wanted to be here. As he walked, he emerged into sunshine. He saw a sign above the corrugated iron fence. It said, Grandstand, South Wing. Another sign a little further on said, Advance Bookings. Now he guessed where he was. Outside Watford Football Club's home stadium. Soon he saw a poster that had been pasted onto the ridges and grooves of the fence. It was advertising the next home game at Vicarage Road against Exeter City in Division 3 South on April the 2nd, 1949. The man stopped. He grimaced. He murmured to himself, How ghastly! If the only entertainment in the afterlife is watching football, I'm going to have a thoroughly miserable time. I rather think I'm in the wrong place. Further up the slope, the new arrival could see people milling around. He noticed women in Victorian dresses and men in pre-war suits. A few men were wearing football kit in a range of different coloured shirts. Yellow and red stripes, black and white stripes and royal blue. Everyone looked comfortable in each other's company. Everyone looked happy. His eye was soon caught by a man wearing a red fur-trimmed gown and a heavy mayoral chain. He went up to the dignitary and said, Excuse me, old chap, but you look as if you might be important. I wonder if... Of course I'm important. I'm Alderman Ralph Thorpe, former mayor of Watford, honorary freeman of the borough, Justice of the Peace, former chairman of Watford Football Club. Ah, good. Well, 
perhaps you can help me. You see, I've just found myself here, and I'm not terribly sure what's going on. The alderman smiled. He sensed an opportunity to pontificate. He grasped the fur-trimmed lapels of his gown and announced, mm, You are now in the afterlife, reserved exclusively for people who love Watford Football Club. Up here, you can continue to watch games for the rest of eternity. You can also revisit any Watford match ever. The alderman peered down his nose, expecting to see the extreme elation that usually gripped the faces of new arrivals when they learned where they were. But the man in the Victorian suit and hat said, Oh, oh dear, really? Is that all one can do? But what else could you possibly want for the rest of eternity, if you're devoted to the club? Ah, well, you see, I think there's been a terrible mistake. I used to like amateur football, but I've got no interest in the professional game. In fact, when this club started, I remember thinking it was just a faction of money-grabbing mercenaries. What? How dare you? As chairman, I personally turned what was a ragtag outfit into a proper limited company. I personally funded our rise from the depths of the Southern League. The man in the Victorian suit wasn't interested in such self-serving bluster. He turned and began to walk sadly, back down the slope. This place clearly wasn't for him. He heard the alderman shout, Hmm, ha! Good riddance! If you don't love Watford, you're clearly a heathen! Bugger off! The man carried on trudging back towards the grey fog. But now, as he passed the advance booking sign, he heard a different voice calling out from behind him. Here, mister! Don't go, mister! He turned to see an elderly lady. Politely, he formally introduced himself to her. She told him she was Florence Simpson, a Watford supporter who died a few months previously. I heard what the alderman said to you, mister. I don't like to hear no one be spoken to like that, whether they're Watford people or not. Well, that's very kind of you, Florence. I'd make an exception for Luton supporters, though. Filthy, disgusting people. Well, I'm definitely not one of those. I'm afraid I don't watch football at all. I used to play, in my youth, but when I... In that case, you should definitely try and become a Watford supporter, mister. This heaven's a wonderful place. Just wonderful. Come on, let me take you to a game. 
Well, um, I suppose... Florence took the man's arm and led him back up the slope towards a creosoted programme hut near the junction with Vicarage Road. We can go to any game in Watford's history. What we do is get ourselves programmes for whatever game we want to see. Then we go through that turnstile there. The ancient turnstile. And it takes us to the game. Florence stopped and pointed to an old-fashioned iron turnstile set into the black corrugated iron fence. <sighs> Going through there is magical. She pulled on the new arrival's arm and set off again up the slope. I won't take you to the very latest game because we lost 3-0 to Swindon. Eddie Hapgood's our manager these days. He used to captain England, you know. But we're not very good at the moment. We're only three points off re-election in Division 3 South. We've only won six games all season. <clears throat> you know, old girl, you're not really selling this being a Watford supporter thing to me. Florence went into the hut and came out with two programmes to Watford's biggest win that season. This game should do it, though. You'll be a convert straight away. She led the new arrival through the ancient turnstile. They arrived inside Vicarage Road at a 4-1 home win for Watford, or the Blues, as they were nicknamed, over Reading on August the 28th, 1948. This is our home ground. Oh, I love it here. From a seat in the main stand, the man in the Victorian suit looked around the ground. From afar, the stadium looked fairly decent, but on closer inspection, it was a ramshackle mess. His view was obscured by telegraph poles festooned with sagging wires. Large tracts of unterraced banking were covered in weeds, and there was corrugated iron everywhere. It was attached to the railings round the Greyhound track. It served as roofing above brick toilet blocks. There were even tea huts made out of it. The man said, Golly, this place looks like it's been thrown together from some distance. But it's home. If I'm honest, though, the players aren't much easier on the eye. Look at the bulk on our centre forward there. Dave Thomas. It's amazing a man that shape is our most expensive signing ever. Quite. You must have been paying by the pound. But I love him. Just because he plays for Watford. And look over there. That's my all-time favourite player. Taffy Davies. Our Welsh wing wizard. He's 38 now. He's been playing for us for 18 years. A proper stalwart. The man in the Victorian suit had never really approved of footballers who played for money. In his own era, he'd regarded amateurs as gentlemen, playing for pure sport, and professionals as ruffians. 
Well, at least playing football has kept him out of the pub. Only temporarily. Rumour has it Taffy's going to run the Red Lion on the corner when he retires soon. As the game kicked off, the man in the Victorian suit cast his mind back to the previous century, when he'd liked football. In the amateur days, there had been several teams in Watford. There had been Hertfordshire Rangers, Watford United, Watford Rovers and Watford St Mary's. Then, after professionalism arrived, a single new entity had been established in 1898. Watford Football Club. At the time, he recalled, he'd felt quite strongly that football in its new guise had little to do with the game he knew. And now, 50 years later, as he watched Watford's professionals plying their trade, he realised he still felt the same way. Modern football seemed to have little in common with the sport he'd enjoyed playing in the 1880s. He got to his feet and said, I'm sorry, Florence. Thank you for trying, but this just isn't my bag. I'll leave you to it. Goodbye. He made his way out of the stand and headed back to the ancient turnstile. Florence supposed she'd never see the man again. After the game, Florence returned through the ancient turnstile onto Occupation Road. From there, she went down the steps into the newly built Supporters Club headquarters. The building was a large hut that had seen use elsewhere as sleeping quarters for RAF officers. It had been purchased for £14 after the war and rebuilt, largely by voluntary labour, next to the main stand. No one would have described it as salubrious, but as Florence entered, it was hosting an informal meeting between three of the most important people in the Watford afterlife. The alderman, in his mayoral finery, was discussing matters with Johnny Allgood, Watford's first ever manager, and Charlie Peacock, a handsome 63-year-old in a wing collar and bow tie. Like everyone else, Florence adored and admired Charlie Peacock. He'd been a key figure in the town's footballing history. In 1881, as a teenager, he'd taken part in the very first kickabout from which Watford Rovers had formed. He'd become the honorary secretary of West Hearts in 1892, and he'd served as chairman of Watford FC from 1900 to 1902. After that, until his death in 1930, he'd been the proprietor of the Watford Observer, whose reporting had helped develop popular interest in the club. When Charlie had finished talking to the alderman and Johnny Allgood, Florence went up to him and told him about the elderly new arrival who didn't love Watford Football Club. I took him to our brilliant 4-1 home win against Reading, but it didn't do the trick. He must have a heart of stone. Well, thank you for trying to help, my dear. If I bump into him, I'll try and work on him a bit. Did he tell you his name? Yes. He said it was Grover. 
Charlie stared at Florence. There was a sudden glint in his eyes. You're kidding me! Why would I? He definitely said Grover. Henry Grover! Charlie Peacock's eyes lit up with joy. Yes! He's here! At last! Charlie punched the air and gave Florence a hug. He was bound to arrive here in the end, no matter what he thought about the club while he was down there. But I don't understand. Who is he? Only the man who founded this wonderful club of ours, my dear. He founded it? Then how come he's not interested in it? Because he doesn't realise that having started Watford Rovers in 1881 makes him the original founder of what became Watford FC. Down on earth, nobody realises. Florence was astounded. She'd been down on earth until only a few months ago. she definitely never heard of Henry Grover before now. She watched Charlie rush back towards the alderman and Johnny Allgood. He's arrived! The father of the club has finally arrived! Then Charlie dashed out of the supporters' club headquarters to go and find the man who was trying to leave the heaven of the club he didn't know he'd founded. In his Victorian suit and hat, Henry Grover was padding around in the grey fog down by the car park gates, looking for a way back out of the afterlife he seemed to be in by mistake. Suddenly, he heard a voice calling his name. He moved towards the voice. Soon, through the mist, he saw someone he'd known since childhood. Henry exclaimed, Well, I'm... Blowed! Charlie Peacock! It's you, old thing! The two old friends came together. They hugged tightly. How wonderful to see you, old son! I should have realised you'd be up here. You continued your interest in football long after I ended mine. Wonderful to see you too, Henry. Come on, let's move out of this fog and go back up the slope. There's been some kind of mistake, Charlie, old chap. I really don't know what I'm doing in a heaven for Watford Football Club. If there was one for our own little team, Watford Rovers, then maybe. But I never had any interest at all in the organisation that sprang up in 1898. Charlie smiled at the surprise he knew was in store for his old friend. You're here... Because of the legacy you created. Henry looked puzzled. Well, I'm afraid you've lost me there, old son. The only legacy I can think of is that uh, Grover Road near Bushy Arches is named after me because of the houses I built in the area, but no one cares about that. And I don't see what it's got to do with football. Charlie Peacock put his arm round his old pal's shoulder and turned him back up the slope of Occupation Road. You've got some catching up to do, Henry Grover. At the top of Occupation Road, Charlie took Henry into the programme hut. It was piled high 
with cardboard boxes full of programmes and team sheets dating back to the previous century. A 13-year-old schoolboy was busy tidying the boxes. His name was Derek Garston. He looked up and said, Hello, Mr Peacock, sir. How can I help you, sir? Hello, young man. An old friend of mine has just arrived in our heaven, a certain Mr Grover. Derek stared at Henry. You mean the actual Mr Grover, Mr Peacock, sir? Henry felt flattered. He said, Ah, you're familiar with the road near Bushy Arches, perhaps. Charlie took young Derek to one side. He whispered some slightly elaborate instructions to him. Derek squeaked with excitement. Oh, yes, Mr Peacock, sir. I'll get straight on to it, Mr Peacock, sir. I'll sort you out with all the programmes you need, sir. Henry overheard and said, Programmes? Oh, dear. Is this going to involve watching more football? How tiresome. Derek had developed an encyclopedic knowledge of Watford statistics since he died in 1921. He said, Off the top of my head, Mr Grover, sir, I think it'll involve six games. The first one you need to visit is definitely our away game at Norwich City on the 2nd of May, 1931. Must I, really? Why that one in particular? Derek didn't answer. He quickly found two copies of the programme for the Norwich game and handed them to Charlie. Charlie said to Henry, Right, my old friend, let's get cracking. Charlie led Henry through the ancient turnstile. They arrived at a ground called The Nest, where Norwich City had played their home games until 1935. It was an extraordinary stadium that had been built at the bottom of a steep-sided pit. Henry was amazed to see groups of people clinging like swarms of bees to vertiginous cliffs behind the stands. There was also a sheer concrete wall behind the goal just a couple of yards from the pitch. Atop the wall, a small wooden fence was all that stopped spectators from plunging down the precipitous drop to their inevitable doom. Henry gasped. Has no one heard of health and safety? Charlie replied. We're not here to consider that, old chap. We've come to see two particular players taking the field for Watford. You'll be familiar with the first one from the Reading game you saw, Taffy Davis. This is his debut for the club, 18 years ago. Henry saw that, here at the nest, the Welsh wing wizard was just 20 years old. Taffy was wearing a shirt that was a much more turquoise hue than the deep blue of the shirts Henry had seen at the August 1948 game. Henry thought the colour was sumptuous. The other player I want you to know is Danky Smith. That's him over there, with the mop of black curls on his head. This is his final game for Watford after 341 league and cup appearances. Another stalwart. Absolutely, old chum. This final game took Danky to joint second on the all-time list of appearance makers, behind Charlie White. And how long did Danky 
play for the club. He began in 1921, which is where we're going next. Come on. What? We're leaving already? Why? Come along. You'll see. After a quick trip back to the hut to get programmes from Derek, Charlie took Henry through the ancient turnstile again. This time they arrived at Watford's previous ground, Cassio Road, on March the 25th, 1921. They went and sat in the pavilion. There was a bumper crowd of 11,772 packed into the stands and around the ropes for a local derby against Luton Town. The away supporters were particularly noisy. Henry pulled a face and said, What a horrible lot. I hate Luton. We beat them as Watford Rovers, Charlie, do you remember? I do hope we win today. Charlie noticed Henry had used the word we in reference to Watford Football Club. He smiled and said, You'll be glad to know we smacked those bounders bottoms in this match too. 1-0. But the reason we've come here is because Danky Smith is making his first home appearance for Watford. Henry saw the mop of black curls again, this time atop a much younger face. Danky was wearing a black and white striped shirt, Watford's regular colours in that era. I also want you to notice someone else. Over there is good old Charlie White, who made a final total of 380 League and Cup appearances for Watford, topping the appearance list at the time. On the far side, in front of the ropes, Henry saw a five-foot-seven inside forward with dark hair, a prominent side parting and an adept body swerve. He's with us, in our afterlife now. He died tragically young in 1925, Everyone on earth was desperately upset. There were more than 80 reeds at his funeral. But the point to note is that he started playing for Watford in 1909, which is where we're going now. Henry thought he was starting to understand what his old friend was showing him. Ah, I get it. Taffy Davis played with Danky Smith, who played with Charlie White. This is like a team relay going back in time with long-serving players passing the baton to each other. Exactly, old chum. In 1909, we'll have gone back 40 years from the current 1948-49 season in just two baton changes between teammates. Impressive. But there's much more to it than that, old boy. Come on. Next, the two men went to watch Charlie White scoring on his competitive debut as a teammate of the giant goalkeeper Billy Bigger on September the 29th, 1909 at Cassio Road. It was another win over Luton. Henry exclaimed in delight. To one! We beat the scum to one! We beat the scum to one! Then, at a game five years earlier on December the 27th, 1904, they watched huge Billy Bigger play as a teammate of Jack Cother, the man renowned as Watford's first ever black footballer. It was an away fixture, the last ever local derby staged at Luton's old ground on Dunstable Road before they moved to Kenilworth Road. Watford won again, 
Henry's smile was as wide as a man with the wings of a sparrow. After that, Charlie took Henry to Jack Cother's competitive debut. They arrived at Cassio Road to watch the first match ever played in league competition by the entity known as Watford Football Club. It was a 15-0 home win over Wickham Wanderers on September the 14th, 1898. Watford were wearing yellow, red and green stripes. Henry looked around the pitch. He said, Ha-ha! You don't need to tell me the name of that man there. Henry pointed to Watford's mustachioed captain and centre-half. That's my bally brother-in-law, Fred Robbins. I couldn't believe it at the time. My sister Charlotte ended up married to a professional footballer. Charlie said, Oh, yes, the old divide between amateurism and professionalism. Far too much fuss was made about it at the time. But I still maintain... Charlie rested a gentle hand on Henry's shoulder. There's no need to maintain anything, old top. You know perfectly well that in all aspects of life, your brother-in-law was an extremely sound man. He started as an amateur and then received remuneration for his excellent efforts. Football moved on. Well, yes, but, but nothing, old thing. The professionalism debate is dead. And it didn't go to heaven. Reluctantly, Henry nodded. He decided he'd better let the issue go. Charlie said, Right, to carry on the theme, shall we go and watch one of your brother-in-law's earliest appearances in April 1894? Henry looked at Charlie in puzzlement. What? But how can we go and see that? This is the afterlife for players and supporters of Watford Football Club, and we're at the first ever match. This must be the oldest match we can watch. I said you had some catching up to do, Henry Grover. Charlie and Henry arrived at Cassio Road on April the 21st, 1894. A friendly match against London Welsh kicked off. Charlie said, The team we're watching now is West Hearts. Look, your brother-in-law Fred Robbins is playing. Henry shook his head. I'm sorry, but I just don't get it, old son. I don't understand how we're able to see this match if it took place before Watford Football Club existed. Everyone has told me this is a Watford Football Club heaven. That's correct, old boy. Then how can West Hearts be in it too? In 1898, Watford Football Club was formed via an amalgamation of West Hearts and Watford St Mary's. It was a brand new organisation. Wasn't it? In point of fact, West Hearts absorbed Watford St Mary's. I was involved at the club at the time, old chum, so I know the detail. You mean... It was actually a continuation of West Hearts, but under a new name. Same committee, same ground, and 17 of the same players, Henry. But I thought it was a completely fresh start. Golly, I can't have been paying enough attention at the time. And not just me. 
Everyone down on Earth talks about the club as having been formed in 1898. Well, everyone's wrong, old boy. Henry tried to process this new information. He found it hard to readjust a lifetime's worth of assumptions. Charlie pointed to a mustachioed forward wearing the yellow and red stripes of West Hearts. He said, Anyway, we mustn't forget the team relay we've been following. For example, I expect you recognise that particular fellow over there, Henry. Henry glanced across the pitch and said in amazement, Walter Coles, a teammate from Watford Rovers, playing in this heaven? Well, I never. We've arrived back at someone from my own playing days. You shouldn't be surprised, old thing. After you stopped playing in 1889, Watford Rovers started playing their home games at the West Hart Sports Ground. The committee there insisted on getting rid of the Rovers' name. That's why the team we're watching is West Hart's. And Walter is still playing. Good old Walter. He loved playing for Watford Rovers. He certainly didn't like the name change. When West Hearts won the County Cup in 1892, he and Freddie Sargent got commemorative medals struck with the name Watford Rovers. Goodness. The name still mattered to people. My word. Henry paused. A thought occurred to him. He welled up slightly. Wait. I'm an old man. I lived a long time. Walter must have passed away too. Is... Is he up here? In this heaven with us? Charlie smiled and nodded. He listed a few more of Henry's Watford Rovers friends and teammates who played at Cassio Road. Freddie Sargent's here too, and Freddie's brothers, Alf and Alec. Henry's eyes beamed with joy through the tears. <laughs> it's wonderful. And you'll be meeting them all again very soon. But there's one final teammate pairing I want to use to get us back further, old thing. And it's not Walter. Charlie pointed to a mustachioed 26-year-old playing in defence for West Hearts. Henry's tear-blurred gaze followed Charlie's finger. Gradually, his eyes cleared. It's you! Charlie Peacock! My old friend from the original Watford Rovers kickabout in 1881. <gasps> oh, it's you. Charlie took Henry back to the programme hut. Henry was trying to come to terms with what he'd seen on the teammate tour. Amazing. A relay from 1949 all the way back to 1881 in just six handovers. Exactly. Six degrees of separation, but we're not done yet. There's still something else you need to see. Inside the hut, out of Henry's earshot, Charlie discussed matters with Derek Garston. What do you think, young man? I want a big finish to Henry's introductory tour. 
He particularly enjoyed our wins over the mob from up the road earlier, so perhaps I shall take him back to our first ever match against the Dirty Scoundrels in 1885. We won that one too. But that was just a friendly, Mr Peacock, sir. I think you should take it to a much more significant occasion, Mr Peacock, sir. Charlie listened to Derek's suggestion. He said, That young man will be a perfect conclusion. Moments later, Charlie glanced at Henry as he led his friend through the ancient turnstile again. The old boy's eyes were already looking a little tear-stained. So Charlie linked arms with Henry on the way to Rose and Crown Meadow, Watford, on October the 23rd, 1886. As soon as they arrived in the meadow, Henry dropped to his knees, despite Charlie's support. He was overcome at what was before his eyes. The team he started, Watford Rovers, were playing Swindon Town. For a while, Henry could barely speak. He knelt on the grass and murmured, Charlie, I'm in Watford Rovers, heaven. Charlie helped a trembling Henry get up. The game kicked off. Watford Rovers were playing their first ever competitive match after several years of friendlies. In the first round of the FA Cup. Henry said, Oh, oh look! Ha! There I am, Charlie! He was pointing at his 20-year-old self, playing it back. In fact, Oh, there we both are, Charlie. 18-year-old Charlie was playing at half-back. I, I can't believe it, Charlie. I'm here watching our first game in the FA Cup. It was just five years after our first kickabout in Casterbury Park. Charlie let Henry watch for a while. He could see how much it meant to Henry that in heaven he'd be able to go back and watch old Watford Rovers games for the rest of eternity. And yet he wasn't sure that Henry had quite grasped the bigger picture. Eventually he said, Well, that's probably enough for today, old chum. You've seen Henry Grover, the boy who brought the ball for the kickabout that started Watford Rovers in 1881, and you've seen players who will take the Blues into the 1950s. We've covered the club's entire history. Henry took his eyes off the game for a moment and looked at Charlie. What? You can't call it one club, Charlie. I can, old thing. Because it is. Watford Rovers were renamed West Hearts. West Hearts absorbed Watford St Mary's and were renamed Watford FC. There's a single through line from the kickabout in Castlebury Park all the way to today. Henry was trembling again. He couldn't quite take it all in. But, but, we were just boys, Charlie. After that, we were just amateurs. Today, Watford are a modern professional club. And it all goes back to you, Henry. The boy who brought the ball. 
You founded Watford Football Club in 1881. You're the father of the club. Once they'd come back through the ancient turnstile, Charlie helped Henry up Occupation Road and down the steps into the supporters' club headquarters. Oh, oh thank you, Charlie. I'm, I'm finding myself rather overwhelmed by your revelation. I think I just need to sit quietly and... A loud cheer broke out as they arrived at the bottom of the steps and entered the main room. Henry looked up and saw a crowd of people shouting and clapping. There was a banner above their heads that said, Welcome to heaven, the father of the club. Young Derek Garston was there. Florence Simpson also. The Alderman and Johnny Allgood too. So were Charlie White, Fred Robbins, Walter Coles, Freddie Sargent, Alf Sargent, Alex Sargent and several other of Henry's original Watford Rovers teammates. Henry clung tightly to Charlie and said, Good Lord. Just... Good Lord. Henry's old teammates stepped forward. In turn, they hugged him. They thanked him too, for the legacy he created for everyone, both here in Watford Heaven and in the land of the living. What he'd built hadn't been just a few houses and a row with his name, but something that had become deeply beloved and truly treasured by thousands and thousands of people across several decades. Henry could hardly see for tears as his old friends lined up to greet him. Soon, though, he saw the mayoral chain of the alderman glinting in front of him. He heard the alderman say in his booming voice, Mr. Grover, earlier I told you that I was important, but in truth I'm only relatively important in comparison to the man responsible for founding this football club. Henry felt flattered again, but the alderman hadn't finished. Now Henry saw something else glinting in front of him. To mark your arrival... I should like to present you with this. Henry peered at the ceiling to drain his eyes. Then he focused on what the alderman was pressing into his palm. It was small, shield-shaped and made of nine-carat gold. It was one of the medals that had been struck after the 1892 victory in the Hearts County Cup with the name Watford Rovers, not West Hearts, on it. Henry's eyes filled up again, but not before he'd seen that the name C.H. Peacock was also engraved on the medal. Charlie, I can't have this. It's yours. Charlie came over. He closed Henry's hand over the medal. It's for you, old chum. Please accept it on behalf of myself and everyone who's ever loved the club you founded. We're all indebted to you for the existence of the club, and therefore for the existence of this afterlife paradise for supporters of the Blues. 
Watford, heaven. Another round of applause, and more cheers broke out. Deeply moved, Henry squeezed the medal tightly in his palm, but he couldn't help feeling slightly bothered by something Charlie had said. Charlie had used the name Watford Heaven. But Henry couldn't help feeling that the name of a heaven as wonderful as this needed more of a ring to it. Something along the lines of Blue's Bliss, perhaps, he thought to himself. But as his old friend surrounded him again and patted him on the back, he put the thought aside. There was plenty of time to come up with something catchier before the end of eternity. The End The next episode of Hornet Heaven will be Series 10, Episode 2. Hornet Heaven was created and written by Watford fan Ollie Wicken. It was read by Watford fan Colin Mace. It was produced by Watford fan John Mooney. Music by Watford fans Steve Joy and Jeff Wicken. Music